Marvel Studios shuffles its slate in a huge way, but we get a new look at Loki. Taylor Swift takes on The Exorcist and wins. And Giancarlo Esposito teases us with more comic book world casting news. All that on this week's Multiverse News. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for all the information about your favorite fictional universes. My name's Matthew Carroll, and on the panel today, we have Jay Sisson from Commute the Podcast. Jay, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. Just got in from a kid's soccer game where it was 95 degrees, so, you know, just feeling great right now. (laughs) I bet. Blasted by the sun constantly for a whole hour. No big deal. That sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome into the cold. welcome into the air conditioning. Uh, and uh, Jay Scotty St. Clair from Animation Deliberation. What's going on, Jay Scotty? Hey, yeah, doing okay over here. You know, Marvel may be delaying things left and right, but Multiverse News is always going to be here like clockwork, and That's happy right. to be a part of it. That's right. Every Wednesday, baby, dropping like clockwork. And Haley Hobbs from Source Pages. What is up, Haley Hobbs? Not much is up. Just happy to be here hanging out with you three. Mm, so happy to be here with you. And, uh, wh- well, uh, y'all want to just dive in? How y'all doing? What's going on this week? Anything new? Hey, coming off Labor Day, we're all well-rested, probably. You know, feeling <laughs> feeling good. Not me. I, went to, I, I did not plan to go to Dragon Con because I just got a new house, and as we've discussed, and I did not plan on doing Dragon Con at all. But I ended up picking up a random extra gig, so I had like a little extra money, and me and my niece were off on Sunday, so we drove to Atlanta just for the day and did like, a th- I don't know, like 20 hours at Dragon Con, and we like stayed up really late and just partied and danced <laughs> and got really sweaty, um, and uh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good, but... What was the coolest thing at Dragon Con? Ooh, man. I think, like, it's always just seeing the cosplayers. Like, I I, I posted this in the Stranded Panda chat uh, on Facebook, but uh, I was just, like, sitting in a little, like, restaurant at the end of the night. It was, like, 3 a.m., okay? (laughs) And I was sitting in a restaurant, and I, like... Was it a Waffle House? uh, No, it was, like, a restaurant (laughs) inside the hotel. I hear 3 a.m., I assume, Waffle House, but go ahead. (laughs) That's, like, inside the hotel. They have, like, a a steakhouse type thing, and, like, we were just eating appetizers, and my niece was asleep in the booth, and, like, (laughs) I was, like... Uh, eating some chicken wings and I look out and it's just like amazing. I see a line of people pass and it's just like Doctor Who and Daredevil and the Hulk and like just people are still, it's like 3 a.m. and people are still walking around in full <laughs> cosplay. It's just, it's just a pleasant place to be. It really is. It's gotten to such levels that it's truly art. I mean, like to see like oh, the, yeah. just the extreme levels that people will go. It's, I mean, those, those are our people, you know, just yeah. commitment, commitment mm-hmm. to the, to the craft. Mm-hmm. We have a Loki story uh, to talk about. And one of the, my favorite things is now that Loki variants are a thing. The cons are full of lo- whatever version of Loki. Like it'll be like some other character from any other universe with a Loki crown on and like some <laughs> green clothing. I, I love that. <laughs> I love the I love the mashups. I really do. Oh yeah. Okay, let's get to our first story. Marvel Studios has changed several release dates for upcoming Disney Plus projects uh, without super specific dates. Agatha Coven of Chaos, now apparently titled Agatha Darkhold Diaries, is moving from winter of 2023 to fall of 2024. 
X-Men 97, the revival of the 90s animated show, originally slated for the fall of 2023, has been pushed to early 2024. Echo, originally planned for late November... 2023, just a mere two months away, we were thinking, uh, is now going uh, to January 2024, and plans to release all episodes at once still stand. Season two of What If um, is expected to drop at the end of December of this year. Uh, Currently, there is no word on Ironheart, Daredevil Born Again, or Wonder Man, as all were paused during production due to the strikes and have since been removed from the official calendar. A gut punch to MCU fans everywhere. How are we holding up, guys? Yeah, this is really disappointing news if you're a fan of the MCU, because really the Marvels is the only thing that is anywhere near... I mean, you have Loki, too, but you Mm. have Loki and you have the Marvels, and after that, it's just... We don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, you have these dates, but as we've seen, they are able to be pushed again if need be. Uh, And if the strikes were to continue into the fall, which would be crazy, but if they continue into the fall, you might see these get pushed again. Because the whole reason they get pushed is, we've talked about it a lot of times on here, but the reason they get pushed is because the talent can't go out and promote them. That's a huge loss to the marketing strategy of the overall movie. And so the idea is that you're saving these properties that you know will pay off more later whenever people can talk more about them and you can get interviews out there and you can get talent on social media pushing out the the clips and and the interviews and everything like that you can get uh, your your talent back on late night shows and, and everything so without the ability to do that you lose so much marketing potential so it just makes a lot of sense from a business standpoint to do this but it is just it's piling up these delays are piling up and it's going to make I, I am wondering how 2024 is going to look so if for example the strike gets resolved like next week would all of these dates still stand because that would make for a packed 2024 and I think if you're a studio uh, we're talking about Disney specifically right now but I think if you're a studio you're kind of looking at that and saying I think we need to give a little bit of breathing room between our properties but I think this does mean that Daredevil Born Again Wonder Man and um, the third one that you mentioned Ironheart uh, man like 2025 maybe at this point 2026 i mean yeah it's just i mean they these were very early in production they weren't really super close to the finish line um also just you know um agatha darkhold diaries like what are we doing here like why are we changing the name again you know, I don't yeah, know again. I, yeah. <laughs> thought coven of chaos kind of rolled off the tongue a little bit personally but um you know, Me too. <laughs> but uh, of all the news, uh, least you know, least depressed about that, I guess. Well, you all, you know, you got us one star reviews by talking about Agents of Shield last week. Uh, don't say um, it. You might get you but, might uh, get you might inspire more people to go do it again. <laughs> only if, only if you respond. I feel like I'll be respectful of those fine fine fans. See, you're uh, gonna you know, like I can't help it. Like I'm gonna have to talk about Agents of Shield if we get, <laughs> I can't I can't back down. <laughs> no, I think that uh. The, the the thing about the dark hold is it is a little weird because they had a whole run with the dark hold on Agents of Shield, then they brought it into Multiverse of Madness, and it was very different and right. and Wandavision, and so uh, they could be the same book, but they aren't really looking like it. They look different. Uh, maybe there's multiple copies, whatever. Uh, it's just kind of it's just kind of funny that they're doubling down <laughs> on the dark hold of it all. It, it does feel like a stick in the eye of the. <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, when they just don't have to. Like, there's plenty of sources of magic. You don't have to double down on the Dark Cold. (laughs) How's that for alliteration? (laughs) (laughs) I guess coming off the heels of alliteration, I'll address this Agatha title change as well. And I I do think the titles have gotten progressively worse. Like, I really liked House of Harkness. Like, that had the alliteration. It was also a play on words. Covenant Chaos, it still had the alliteration, so I could rock with it. And then... Darkhold Diaries, like, ugh, it's just the most generic and boring of them all so far. So Mm. hopefully the series itself is a little more exciting than that. But I don't think this is all bad news. Um, You know, talking about the good news, we are getting What If 
season two this year. So, Jay, you said, you know, after the Marvels, what do we have to look forward to? We have What If to look forward to. That's true. I forgot about the the end of December. So, yeah, you're right on that. Yeah, yeah. I think Christmas Day there. And I feel really vindicated in that one because over on Animation Deliberation, the two years that show's been going, we do this thing at the end of the year where we talk about our most anticipated for the coming year. And two years in a row, I have said What If Season 2 only (laughs) for those to be, like, taken (laughs) off the the schedule. So to have it, like, retroactively added back to 2023 is is pretty great for me. Um, The rest of these, uh, you know, I I think Agatha is the big, you know, gut punch as the the little read down that we had there indicated. Uh, The fact that it's being pushed a full year um, makes me wonder, are they going to, you know, obviously the strike is the big reason, but I also think it would make sense that they'd want to release that series around the Halloween season, around spooky season. So maybe it won't be having like a major facelift. Again, we don't know when these strikes are going to be resolved, so maybe they don't even have the potential to do that. But like you pointed out, Jay, it might not even be the last of the delays that we see here. But then other than that, I will say uh, the the one that really hurts me is uh, Daredevil Born Again just not being mm-hmm. on the release schedule at all because that one was supposedly supposed to have like 18 episodes, was going to – to tie in heavily with like Echo with Kingpin and Daredevil showing up in that series. So I, I, I worry a little bit about the continuity, but um, to go back to the positive side again, obviously, like, like I said, the strike is the big reason for this, but Kevin Feige was on record. I think Bob Iker made some comments recently about how the current Disney plus strategy wasn't really working and talking about giving all of these properties more breathing room and making them feel more like events. I think that's the good thing here because like there was a while between all the Marvel series and star Wars series. Like it really didn't feel like there was room to breathe or appreciate these things. So I love those years where we get three MCU releases, but to have the schedule spread out a little bit, if that's, you know, the one silver lining we can get from these delays and these strikes, I'll take it. I had the opposite thought about that, and Jay touched on it. To me, this crams 2024 um, Mm. more. Assuming this is just making the assumption they don't move anything else that was supposed to come out. We're technically supposed to have four movies come out in 2024, which we realize is probably not going to be the case, obviously. But that was my big concern when I saw this news was like 2022. We were talking about everything's overloaded and we're kind of fatigued and we haven't had time to just let these properties sit with us and i worry that them doing all this pushing of the schedule is gonna put us back in that same place mm. i I, hear, I definitely hear that i i, I just don't it, it's weird because i feel like they did such a great job with the first few phases phases of this universe of building in the the timing right and like building anticipation is really like what they've been so good at. And I think like, it feels like they have an Eternals problem. And this is something Mm -hmm. I'm realizing both the Eternals, but so we get more one star reviews, but also (laughs) like the same problem with that movie, which I think is that I think there's just too many characters to introduce in one movie, I think they have kind of got shot themselves in the foot by introducing too many plot lines in one phase. Um, yeah. And too many characters. I think back to what made phase one, two, three work. And it's like, you know, they, they had the, they introduced the original four and they introduced one or two new main characters of us, of a series per phase. It wasn't, it wasn't like, like it has been for phase four, because of Disney Plus and because of uh, the capability and what they were trying to do. But now that they're talking about slowing down, I think part of the problem with them building momentum and building excitement is that you get a movie and you're like, okay, whether you like it or not, it's way more exciting when you know when the next one's coming. Like Iron Man ends and you're like, oh, Iron Man 2's in two years. you know, you, Or, or that, that, mm-hmm. that post-credit sequence makes me know that we're going to see Iron Man again real soon. And in the way this universe is structured right now and the way things are shaking up and the, the strikes and certain properties not performing well and certain properties just sort of getting dropped from view where they don't really talk about them as much, it just sort of feels like... Um, I'm not sure I'm seeing this character again, you know, and, and, and the fact that they've used their post-credit sequences in a way that like, sometimes it's teasing a movie that's related to what you're watching. And sometimes it's just like completely unrelated or, or feels like, or it's just a joke or whatever. So I just don't know that they're, because of how spread out the universe is, they have already introduced a ton of things. And now if they take those things and spread them out over an even longer time frame it's like nothing's getting 
nothing feels immediate. I don't feel like I'm getting the answers to questions that I'm that these movies are asking. You know, one movie asks a question, hmm. you hope that two years later you get the answer to the question or the next summer, you know. Um, you see Bucky's arm in a vice and you're like, next summer I'm going to know what, why Bucky's arm's in a vice, you know. Like, whatever. <laughs> like, the, those yeah. post-credit sequences do that. And right now I feel like we get these things like, well, what uh, Shang-Chi was 30 years ago and I still don't know what the, that beacon is about, you know, the one, like that's, I, the one that's the most hilarious to me is white vision. Like he blasted through the ceiling or whatever. We haven't yeah. seen him for years. <laughs> and like, right. some people listening to this are like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. Uh, yeah. He's just floating around somewhere out there. <laughs> forgot about that guy. No, that's exactly, that's a great, a great one, example, Jay. I just feel like that is one of the biggest problems with the, hype train and how they're building it it's just too far before i get an answer to a question and i don't know when i'm getting an answer or i'll know it's on the schedule for coven of chaos to happen but it's like is it gonna happen is it gonna keep getting pushed and uh, yeah and that was happening even before the strikes so it just feels a lot less uh less immediate i'm not getting my dopamine hits as as regular Yeah, I also wonder if it like a factor is like the blessing and the curse that like the Disney Plus series have represent or presented. Like they give us these opportunities to introduce more characters and spend more time with these mm-hmm. characters than we would get to in a film. But I also think that puts a lot more responsibility on Kevin Feige's shoulders. Like that is not only is he having to keep this universe intact with all these like movies that are coming out every year, but also factoring in the series. And that makes me think like he doesn't have the time or the space to go back and like look at a film like Multiverse of Madness. I love that film, but. How it would not have been difficult to like throw a line or a scene in there that just says, "Oh yeah, there's a celestials, you know, giant celestial somewhere in the ocean." Like, can we just like you know have that little bit of connectivity there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's another great example. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and we get and then we get like a small nod, like in She-Hulk, where it's like on a news thing on the side of a website, like that that was mentioned. It's sure. like. But that's not enough. Like, we need connectivity. We need, like, consequences. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't – it's it, it's what – and it's it's the thing that I've been trying to narrow down why I feel that way. And I've been saying it all this time. Like, I, there's not a property I don't like. But it's mm-hmm. just not feeling – Well, there's one. What's that? <laughs> Secret Invasion. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I don't like it how it – well, though, even Secret Invasion. I hate the ending. There's some big problems in the end. But I kind of love the rest of it. You know, it's got many episodes that I really, really love. And the acting is so good. Like, I don't like it. Yeah, you're probably right. It probably gets a negative score in my book. But, like, I still really enjoyed the experience of it. Um, But for the most part, I don't really have many things I dislike the property itself. But I don't feel like the universe is pushing towards something. Except that they called their shot on Kang. But that feel and and for for outside reasons that feels all up in the air. So yeah, it's, it's just, like it's iron, ironically, like you're moving, you're opening up all of these character arcs, and Kang is supposedly if we stick to the schedule, which they probably won't. But if they stick to the schedule, he's kind of like coming too soon <laughs> because you yeah. haven't really like put these characters together. Like you've dumped the toy box out, you know, and you've got the toys okay. spread out on the living room floor, but like there's no you haven't put anyone together feasibly to be like it would not make sense for these characters to come together to fight somebody right now because they're all so mm-hmm. disconnected like it would not make sense for Kate Bishop to team up with She-Hulk and for you know for for all these characters to just pop across all of these properties because in the lead up to Avengers Infinity War we saw these characters pop into each other's properties all the time and there were multiple crossover films and there were team up films and all these things and they were constantly in each other's movies and in each other's space. And then, okay, it makes total sense that they would come together uh, to fight this threat. But in this case, we've got a big threat, but like we've got all of these very disconjointed storylines that are feel like loose ends at the moment. It doesn't mean that, but it's almost like you need to bring those loose ends together first before you can really attack. Like, here's the big threat that's going to cross over everything and see everyone come together, which is what phase this whole infinity saga did and what they want to do with the multiverse saga i just feel like there's there's some connective tissue that needs to be had first before that can really happen and it pay off so basically what we're all saying is we're missing a bunch of content that we wanted after infinity saga and before multiverse saga which was like the after effects of infinity war i think that they should have done that i think they should have done that instead of just jumping into 
And I mean, WandaVision was the first thing and WandaVision is my all-time favorite, don't get me wrong, but well, after Captain America the Winter Soldier, um mm. <clears throat> but we're missing like you guys are saying all these connective tissues mm. and a lot of it's lost in these years that we didn't get any stories for. And we'll watch something we'll be like that's cool, but they just reference something we don't even know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that would have been compelling enough storytelling for Marvel to do, but it seems like that's where the big the big story holes are. Courtney O'Brien just dropped in the chat one of the the most like infuriating storylines that I completely <laughs> forgot about that they've never tied up that I have to bring up. It's who bought Stark Tower. Like that, <laughs> right. that is like so, like they talked about that in Spider-Man No Way Home. It was like he was swinging around and it was like the YouTube videos were popping up. That was what, like 2019 or something when that happened? And uh, this whole idea of who bought Stark Tower has completely disappeared. And they purposefully, like anytime they're doing a property in New York like Miss Marvel or like like, uh, Spider-Man or whatever, it's like they're purposely not showing that part of the skyline. They're like, "Ah, let's not pan over that way for a little bit. Like, well, that because kind of stuff it would frustrates be cool me. if, like, Reed Richards had bought Stark Tower and it was the Baxter building, but that's, I mean, we're not going to get that. I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, we're just yeah. missing. We're missing so much information. Yeah. <laughs> I will push back a little bit, Haley, on the idea that they didn't do properties that give us the after effects of of Endgame and the Infinity Saga, because, like, I do think that they really drilled down on that for a, a number of properties, like... um the Hawkeye, uh, you know, him him just feeling the effects of, uh, like, the Thanos was right stuff, and the Rogers the musical, like, him, uh, even Ant-Man being, like, famous, and, like, WandaVision is all about her emotional reaction to returning to a world without vision, you know, uh, like, the... the um, there was one other I had in my head, but I'm not pop, not not popping on. Oh, uh, Spider Man, of course. Like Spider Man's all about we lost. He lost Tony. He lost his father figure. Like it's a lot of the properties that came out right after Endgame, like the four or five of them in a row, really felt like they were dealing with the characters. And Miss Marvel is even about like you know she knows who uh, Carol Danvers is now, and like they she has fans. They're fans of the Avengers because of what they did to save the world, and she's literally. Uh, breaking down what happened with this with the uh, Avengers battle and stuff like there's there I think it's it is showing that these after effects I don't think you're wrong but I think after something comes out everyone's always like but what about this and what about that and I'm like well I don't know (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah yeah no I hear you (sighs) so many unanswered questions (laughs) yeah TJ Stafford in the chat says Falcon and the Winter Soldier was all about the after effects yeah yeah we didn't get as much of that as I think it would help. I think it would just help place the universe a little better now. Cause yeah, that was a big like geopolitical problem of all these people came back. Like I found that to be very compelling and then, you know, it kind of got turned another way. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, 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 it's another example of these threads they're creating because like that idea of the flag smashers and they're sort of like sort of righteous, uh, you know, bad guys that are like looking for a home for their people and like feeling oppressed, like that thread, they show a truck for like, from like that organization in Moon Knight, but that's like about the only reference we've gotten to like the, the displaced peoples of the world that 50% of the people came back to a world that's changed. Like that's a really compelling story. Like we could have a story that's almost like the leftovers or something Mm -hmm. that like tells us the sort of like what happens to a world where that happens, you know? Um, And it it does feel like that's part of this, even though we followed the threads of individuals and what they've going through, we don't know the bigger world does feel very uh, unaddressed. Yeah. That's, that was what I meant. Yeah, I get that. To better news, <laughs> on the heels of their schedule changes, uh, Marvel released a 45-second spot for the upcoming second season of Loki on Disney+. Plus. The fast-paced trailer gives us a little more Victor Timely action, a lot of quick action shots, and a little bit of dialogue from Loki and Sylvie. With all the upheaval in the world of TV and movies, is your Loki hype level still high? 
I recall when we got the first trailer for Loki season two, I said something to the effect of like, that was a damn near perfect trailer. And I feel like this, this trailer, this 45 second look, uh, again, fired on all cylinders. Like I found myself very satisfied from like an aesthetic perspective. Mm, like it had this yeah. vibe and this energy to it. Like it felt, I could feel the clockwork cogs, like, you know, that, that whole, the way it, it cued, the music was used perfectly. And like, every time you got like a kind of a jolting stop, something different would happen. So you got this like feel of being displaced from time and just kind of the being jerked back and forth between these alternate timelines. So I thought it was super effective in that regard. And I, I really like what we get, what we're seeing in terms of the depiction of this world and, and just the, the general style, uh, as far as like, you know, takeaways in terms of what I could glean from the plot here, the main takeaway from, for me was uh, that I, I guess I did, didn't know how big a role Victor Timely was going to play. Like, obviously, Kang is the threat in the background here, but more and more, it seems like this season might be choosing Victor Timely to be the Kang variant that we decide to focus on. And I think the series would probably benefit from having a like singular antagonist like this so that like as we get to know the character of Kang and spend more time with each of these variants, like we can actually, you know, kind of glom onto this, this version, this Victor timely. And uh, yeah, I, I really like what I see and I'm, I'm super excited for this series. It's uh, just around the corner now. So they don't have to show me anything else. I'm on board. <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved the like looper <laughs> effect of it. We, we start with Loki and we get to the end and he says again. And I was like, Ooh, yeah. yeah like I like this. <laughs> this is kind of, yeah kind of suspenseful and thriller-esque super into it yeah that, sure. those cinematographers are earning their check like you can tell yeah. like the the way that the story is told through the shots and the scenery and the props and everything it's just they're going all in on the concept of what it is and the world that it is they're not trying to make it anything different that it's not like they're just kind of doubling down in that idea of that like kind of analog and like old sort of like almost like if you played those games like those games fallout like kind of that like mashup of like Mm. 50s technology with futuristic technology like that kind of mashup type thing like i'm getting that kind of vibe from it it's it's really cool i'm I'm really excited for this too it's just uh like i said i don't want to see any more i just uh want to take it for what it is yeah me too the uh, I, I agree with everything you guys have been saying, and and uh, Jay, you mentioned the cinematography. Just every shot looks com- so well composed. It, every shot looks like eye candy, and it's something I just like want to. I want to watch that scene. Like more, the, it's it's less like I need to know what's happening in the scene. It's more like I can't wait to live in the moment of watching that scene and seeing those actors interact and seeing these characters like grow and like it just feels like a show. Like I love season one of this show is as I've said in the past is my favorite thing from phase four. And I just like then one of my favorite two, maybe, uh, but I, I just absolutely love uh, season one, and I this one looks even better. It really does. Like the set design and the and the look of every shot just looks amazing. I was I was really excited by one shot in the in the trailer uh, where the characters came together all in all all like kind of stepped towards the camera. It's like the it's almost like a. Um, uh, it looked like a promotional shot and it was just interesting to see all these characters because last season Loki was kind of an antagonist to the TVA and he wasn't really on the team until the very very end and even then he wasn't really um, he was kind of in, in, until he was trying to stop Sylvie basically he was he was kind of doing his own thing and this seems like these characters that I really liked from the TVA are actually like sort of joining into a team and I really thought that was really exciting um, to see him joining forces with all those characters and sort of becoming a team player, maybe even. All righty. Up next, films are not wanting to compete with the powerhouse that is T-Swizzle. Sorry, Taylor Swift. (laughs) Um, The... Both The Exorcist Believer and Meg Ryan's comeback rom-com What Happens Later have changed release dates from October 13th to not conflict with Swift's The Eras Tour film. Swifties will find this unsurprising given that 13 is the songbird's favorite number, but The Eras Tour film has had implications beyond the moving of this new take on the sacred horror film from its release date. Swift cut out the middleman and is releasing her concert tour documentary to theaters without a distributor, making a deal directly with AMC Theaters. 
This could foretell a new future for movie theaters, giving distributors and studios the idea that they could have their own theaters and release their properties directly to them. Supporters of Taylor Swift stayed true to their fanatic nature and broke AMC's single-day advanced revenue record with $26 million and is projected to open to $100 million. Is there going to be bad blood between studios and theaters in the future, or is the Eras Tour only going to enchant theaters this one time? Real quick, did you write this with Haley? Yes. I love all the Taylor Swift uh, little <laughs> nuggets in there. You, Thank you. you yeah, yeah. Well, well done. Well done, Haley. <laughs> um, I did run it by our Swifty correspondent, Jess Kamai, because I had to oh, have nice. a stamp of approval from a true Swifty. <laughs> so I'd like to first put out there that I think right now there's maybe no one more powerful in the world than Taylor Swift. And if like an army needed to be raised immediately... That woman could do it. All she'd have mm-hmm. to do is put out an Instagram post and it would happen and everybody would be wearing friendship bracelets and it would probably be kind of scary slash amazing. Um, but I thought it was really very cool that she's, well, I guess it depends on what perspective you're looking at this from. It's cool that Taylor's staying true to herself in that she's made this deal directly with AMC to put her documentary of her concert tour out just by herself. This is totally in line with her redoing her old albums that were sold out from under her so that she owns her music. This is because she's been burned so much in the past. This is not somebody who wants anyone to control what she does anymore. And so, you know, people can say what they want about Taylor Swift, but she's definitely true to herself and true to the things that are important to her. And so go her. Um, but I bet distributors are seething right now. I bet studios mm-hmm. are so mad that they're losing out on all of this money that's going to go directly to her and to AMC instead of like a focus film or whoever, you know, whatever studio would probably pick it up. So um, the idea, and I saw this in a news article, the idea that like a Disney could just start opening a chain of Disney theaters is slightly terrifying to me. But as we've seen, and as Jay likes to say, Hollywood always learns the wrong lessons. (laughs) I could so see it happening. It's kind of a boss move from AMC. They're like, you know what? You're not going to give us any movies this fall. Well, we're just going to get Taylor (laughs) in here. And we're going to throw a movie up that's going to do $100 million at our theaters. And uh, we're going to make you take your movies off the release schedule and move them up a week earlier because you're terrified of competing with this movie. Uh, Because you think about, I mean, the target audience for a Taylor Swift film you know young typically like young female audience like that's also your target audience probably for the meg ryan comedy and it's probably also a big portion of your target audience for the exorcist and so you're looking at like those films are like we got to get out of (laughs) here like we can't we can't be in this same weekend as this movie but i think the the numbers were surprising like obviously i know taylor swift's huge and i know the era's tour was like basically rebooted our economy this summer or whatever (laughs) but like the fact that it's going to probably it's projected to make a hundred million dollars in its opening weekends that's pretty like that's puts it I mean, it's going to put it to be like one of the top three movies of the entire year, I think, uh, whenever you do the box office uh, rundown. So, um, yeah, it's it's came out of nowhere and has potential to make some big ripple effects later down the line. I have thoughts on this. The idea that this is going to become a trend, I think, is overblown. Uh, and the idea that, like, it may scare the distributors, but truth be told, like, I, I, you know, I come from the music world and like Taylor Swift has done things in music that like people were like, oh man, what if everyone does that? It's like, no one else can do that. Like when she decided her music wasn't going to be on Spotify for a while, I think it is now, or she was going to like hold out for more money and Spotify, you have to pay me to get my music, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, People were like, ah, finally the power is going to be in the artist's hands. Like, no, the power is in Taylor Swift's hands. Like (laughs) (laughs) not other artists can't make that same deal other artists need spotify which is why they stay there uh because that's where the money is right now because that's where all the ears are now uh but taylor swift has such command of her audience uh because of her direct to fan interaction for her entire career there's um <laughs> well there's this guy who was her first manager the guy who like 
was her manager in the earliest, earliest days. And he tells stories. He does like classes on how to, how to connect with fans or whatever. And like, he tells stories about the concerts would end and she would stand like two hours just before she was famous, just talking to people and just continuing the, the interactions and that she's built that fan base from that. Like, and she's always been like a person who knows how to communicate directly to her fans. And it is, uh, yeah, no one's ever done anything like this. I, I don't know if, a has any concert film ever done these numbers? I can't imagine. No, not these numbers. There was, no, a, I don't know. There was a Bruce Springsteen one, I think, like a year or two ago that was that did okay. And then I think there was like a Rolling Stones one, maybe that did okay. But like not these numbers. No, not an yeah. opening weekend for sure. Courtney in the chat says Beyonce is reportedly shopping her Renaissance uh, to her film, but and Beyonce is huge. But I just don't even think it could catch Taylor Swift because her fans are so just they're they are fanatics that's yeah. that's wild that you bring up beyonce because i was going to make a joke and say i'm just waiting for come award season kanye west <laughs> is going to rush the stage and say like oh my god taylor swift had a great <laughs> concert but exorcist believer was the best movie of the year <laughs> but, so. you guys are manifesting all the wrong things tonight <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love the connectivity to beyonce there but from what I've heard, apparently this it's like going to be three hours long, and she's going to do or she has done forty songs like in a row without much of a break. So yeah, just her work ethic and her commitment to her fans, like I think it shows why the you know the Swifties have the reputation that they do. They're going to come out in full force in these numbers and these pre-sales that we're seeing that are you know breaking records for AMC. Uh, the proof is in the pudding there. So uh, I think it's a good move for pretty much everybody. I think uh, Exorcist believer like it could kind of benefit from running longer in October. But I also think about, so we've talked about Barbenheimer. Uh, we had, you know, talked about Saw Patrol having Saw 10 and the Paw Patrol movie releasing <laughs> uh, in late September. There's that Saw Patrol reference for those of you that have been listening and waiting for that again. But I think we're going to have a potential for like almost another little mini Barbenheimer because while they're not opening on the same day, uh, Taylor Swift's Eras Tour will be still playing when Killers of the Flower Moon opens later in October on October 20th. So again, they're both three-hour commitments, at least three hours that you're going to spend in the theater or somewhere <laughs> around that time frame and very different subject matters. So I, th- I think you're going to see, you know, the uh, – what is that that term for uh, programming that's like – it's escaping me right now, but – Alternate programming or whatever. Alternate programming, uh, yeah. You're going to see both parties be satisfied there, and I wonder if both films will benefit. Now, obviously not in the way that we saw with Barbenheimer, but maybe there's a – potential to have a little mini Barbenheimer here in the, the October season. <laughs> One of the things we talked about a lot when Barbie was first being uh, promoted was the idea that like how direct they were in the marketing. Like if you love Barbie, you'll love this movie. If you hate Barbie, you'll love this movie. It's for you too. Like I could actually see if they had kept exorcist on the same weekend and just like went at Taylor Swift. Like actually I could totally see if the exorcist was like, a lot of people are going to be watching pop music in the theater this weekend, (laughs) but you need to come out and represent the darker side. Like, 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 like I could actually see them manufacturing a little bit of a like reaction to the Taylor Swifties. And I think the thing is that I think the a hundred million is a lot, but I think it's going to blow past a hundred million in opening weekend. And here's why the, one of the reasons Barbenheimer did so well and Barbie specifically did so well is because people loved going in costume and seeing everyone in the pink, the eras tour, the whole thing you've been seeing on social media is everyone's going to the eras tour dressed in their favorite era of Taylor Swift. And this is movie is going to be the same thing. It's going to be an event for Mm -hmm. a bunch of people that love Taylor Swift to come together and dress up in their favorite era and go to these movies. And that is going to be the kind of event that people are going to love. It's it's like a convention. You know, we're talking before. I think about cosplay earlier. Uh, yeah, that, that was on the show. I was thinking, <laughs> was that before or after we started? Um, but it's the same thing. It's like going to a place and seeing the creativity of the fans. And I think it's going to be that same sort of like in-person reason to leave the house that Barbie was. I think this is going to have that. And I, so I think they're undercounting. I don't think they're ha- mm-hmm. encountering that effect of like the number of groups of people that are going to go together and go multiple times dressed in different outfits and like enjoy the uh, experience of this uh, concert. Well, yeah, because if you couldn't afford tickets or you couldn't get tickets to go to their concert, even the second time around, you're going to yeah. buy a $18 movie ticket to go see it in theaters for sure. sure. Well, and it's the thing. I've heard nothing but amazing things about this concert mm-hmm. and this tour. 
the people that couldn't go, like myself, I couldn't afford that ticket. I, I will absolutely go see it because of the, all the word of mouth I've heard. And then people who went, who had this amazing night, will want to relive it. So I don't think it's, I think it's going to be this really wide ranging group of people. I've heard tons of like non Swifties. Uh, especially like celebrities talking on podcasts, how they just went to the show because it was like the thing in town in LA or whatever, coming on and being like, I'm a Swifty now. Like <laughs> that blew me away. Like, and it's getting word of mouth on weird podcasts that do not, like, don't match the demographic. I think this is, I think this thing is going to be huge. I think I saw Stephen A. Smith, who is a sports personality, talking about Taylor Swift. Like, and he was like, that is the best concert I've ever been to. And yeah. he was like, no shade to anybody else, but that's the best concert I've ever been to. It's, it, you're right. It's just like, it's trans, what's the word? Transcending like populations and demographics. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The word I was looking for earlier is counter-programming. That's it. It just came back to me when Haley found her word there with transcending. I'm glad I could help you. All right. Up next, everyone's favorite on-screen baddie actor, Giancarlo Esposito, sparked life to the DCU with rumors that he is joining James Gunn's revived franchise during an appearance at Comic-Con Panama. While the tease of information is extremely sparse, fans of Esposito are surely glad to know such a well-known and renowned actor may appear in the universe being built by Gunn. With Esposito's range, what kind of character can we see him taking on in the DCU? So obviously, Giancarlo Esposito plays a great villain. He plays iconic villains, and that fits him very well. But he did mention before the strikes started happening that he was looking to play more protagonist roles or hero roles or like good guy roles. Uh, And so I think with those comments in mind, although he does make a great villain, and I think you could probably typecast him for 10 different DCU villains and he would probably do a great job in every one. He's probably looking for a little bit of a change in that respect. So I would just, if you see a a casting announcement at some point of Giancarlo Esposito in the DCU, I would keep an open mind that uh, he might be looking to explore a different sort of role instead of always just being that like brooding, you know, evil force type man behind the curtain villain that he's so good at playing. Mm-hmm. I immediately go to given the, the what you're saying, and I, I, uh, I, I agree. I think it's crazy that he's been in so many different geek universes as like a very similar like uh, methodical villain, you know. Um, but I, uh, I'm saying Martian Manhunter. Oh, that's what TJ Stafford and I both just said. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. totally. Like he's got because because it's 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 a hero. Uh, and a valiant one, but it still has the sort of like deadpan, like weighty delivery that you have in 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 many versions of that character. Um, and I think that like Esposito does really well with like sort of um, I don't know, soft spoken but powerful. Um, and I think that Martian Manhunter fits that description really well. He's currently voicing Lex Luthor on the Harley Quinn animated series. So it's kind of, I can't help, but my mind kind of goes there immediately. But I agree with everything that's been brought up. If he cannot play a villain, I think that would be great because he's been on a run here where it kind of reminds me of a few years back where Ben Mendelsohn, Ben Mendelsohn was being cast as a villain and everything. And then I thought Marvel did something really smart with casting him as a scroll and having him be Talos and having him, you know, subvert expectations and initially be an antagonist Mm. that becomes a protagonist. So that's kind of where my mind was going as well. I was struggling to think of like who he might be, maybe one of the new gods, but I really like the Martian Manhunter casting idea because I think it serves two purposes. Number one, he's got the voice and the gravitas and the fact that Martian Manhunter is also a shape-shifting character, like Giancarlo Esposito, he's a great performer, but he is a man of a certain age. So I think asking him to do some of that, you know, physically taxing stuff might be a bit of an issue. But if you go to Martian Manhunter, there's there's no problem whatsoever. And mm. There he's a Martian part of the time, and uh, he could shapeshift into whoever he wants to. Love that. The reason I went Martian Manhunter was because the first thing I ever saw him in was um, Once Upon a Time 
Is that what it was called? Yeah. And he plays mm. the magic mirror to the evil queen in Snow White. Okay. And he's that kind of character wow. where he's just like, he's not bad. He's not good. He's just kind of there. And that's that's what I would like to see him get back to. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The other part of this I did want to bring up is he, I guess he's not breaking any like strike rules by just like talking about a a possible role and he's doing it at Comic-Con Panama. So I guess he's covering mm-hmm. all bases there. He's not saying anything definitive. And I do kind of wonder, is he going to join this camp of people that like say, James Gunn told me this. Are we going to find out <laughs> like, this, this ends up being nothing before too long? Yeah, James Aww. Gunn all of a sudden on like threads or something is like, actually, I've never spoken to Giancarlo Esposito. And then, we're, and then all of a sudden we're like, not again. Please don't do it again, James. Like, we put it as a main story this week, James. Why did you do it? Why did you do it? Yeah, I think the direct quote was something like, I've had conversations with James Gunn about maybe being in a film at some point. So it was extremely general. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't like, I've been cast. Like, it was just kind of like, we've been talking a little bit. So it's fun. Fun to imagine. The Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff, and this goes to uh, all our complaints about, like, uh, starting this show right as the writers and directors, uh, writers and actors strike started. Um, but like, I think about these shows trying to present things like, like, like the kinds of stories that go around the internet, you know, and the things that, uh, you're excited. These, these studios are excited when you're promoting a thing that, that like goes viral. Um, and this is such a small thing that he's had conversations with James Gunn, but you gotta know that Warner brothers was like, all right, we got one. <laughs> we got a new story out there. Uh, Yay. Yeah. We're going to take a 300 to $500 million loss, but Giancarlo's casting rumors. Yeah. <laughs> like you guys, you guys, excited about the dcu come on (laughs) hey you guys like david corn sweat don't you remember him (laughs) all right um so uh this week we did a a, a novel uh spotify poll (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's one way of saying it And I, I think we're going to have fun with this. Uh, we, we asked, what is your favorite cinematic no, which is what we <laughs> promised last week. And, and I came up with five. And I'm just curious if you guys can, uh, can, can name, the, name the five. And if you'd like, I can give a dramatic reading of the five. Yes, oh, yes we would. Yeah, we need that, that, that's a must. Yeah, we're not doing it without the dramatic reading. <laughs> okay. All right, first one. And you guys tell me which one you think, wh- where you think these are. No. <laughs> so that's that's Vader. Vader, yeah. Yeah. You got Vader. You got Vader. All right. <laughs> Good start. One for one. All right. Now, I, I'm giving some physicality to these nose as well. Yeah. If you're not watching on on Twitch or YouTube, yeah. you're, you're messing up. <laughs> it's, or 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 Spotify. We got it on Spotify, Spotify. The video. So yeah, check us out. Uh, okay, here we go. Next one. No. <laughs> oh, I got it. No! It was Michael McDonald's character from Austin Power before he gets rolled over by the steamroller. <laughs> no! <laughs> yes, that is okay. right. That is oh right. my lord, I cannot believe that you just called that. It was the phys- it was the physicality in that performance. That's what gave it away for me. Oh yeah, my god! Yeah. The, the hand up, really, like as uh, <laughs> that's from from Austin Powers. He yells and no three times, and then gets run over by a steamroller because he doesn't yeah. move. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful cinematic no. Um, okay, uh, the next one. I'm like, okay, I fall into the floor. I'm crawling away. No, no. <laughs> Buddy, buddy, <laughs> fall, fall into the, the floor, floor crawling, crawling away. away. <laughs> they don't say that, but I'm just giving you like so the, the life alert, life alert commercial. I fall. I've <laughs> <laughs> fallen and I can't get up. That's not a cinematic no. Okay. What? I, yeah, I don't. I don't know this. I one. don't know. Female character sees a face from her past and is very scared. Sarah Connor, Terminator Two. Uh, <laughs> in the prison he comes around the corner cocks a shotgun yeah it's ex- but that's fine this is what we asked for <laughs> two of three we've gotten so far all right scotty's carrying us i feel like these last two are, are, are gettable okay uh no <laughs> bastard 
words. <laughs> what? <laughs> Have I not seen all the same movies that you've seen? <laughs> that's a come on. That's a big one, guys. I did the voice and everything. Should help, is, but it's not helping. Yeah. Is it Back to the Future? It's Back to the Future. Jay is on the board. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. I'm terrible at this game. Put me in the game, coach. <laughs> <laughs> It is uh, Back to the Future when Doc is shot by the terrorists oh. and uh, Marty yeah. Marty goes, no, <laughs> bastard. And you'd hear it twice in the movie that because he runs good. up at the end to save his life or just to try to save his life. And he, you hear the other Marty do it right before he jumps in the DeLorean. And this last one, I'm not very good at the voice for this one, but uh, no. <laughs> okay, so is that Caesar? Yes, it's Caesar. Okay. okay. Jay Scotty, three out of five. Oh, like Batman. <laughs> three out of five. Batman. <laughs> I only got Vader. Oh, man. Our, 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 our poll broke down pretty evenly, as you might expect. But I do think that a lot of people recognized the same one that uh, Jay Scotty got immediately there with the Vader, because it got 38% of the vote in first place. We got the Vader scream. And all the others are between 13 and 16%, so (laughs) pretty even. And then uh, the Vader scream was right up there. I wonder how many people thought, gave it thought and thought about uh, thought about what what the, <laughs> that's not going to be our poll this week. Is just what did you know? Did you know what the nose? And I'm just joking. That's not going to yeah. be the poll this week. <laughs> yeah, I think outside of the dramatic readings we just got, the thing that impresses me the most about this poll is that we got 67 people to vote in the, in that poll. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like I thought people would I thought people would see the poll the poll and just be like, all right, okay, fine, guys, like yeah. whatever. I'll see you next week. <laughs> we appreciate you, 67 people. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you, 67 people. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving on to the lightning round uh, to round the show up. Uh, well, let's get through this. You guys know the rules. Uh, you buzz in with your name when you hear the story, and you are the person who's claiming the response to that story. And throughout the entire lightning round, you get one rebuttal and sometimes some tiny butts. <laughs> That's a short rebuttal that is unsanctioned. Um, <laughs> still against the rules, but we'll allow it. <laughs> still against the rules, but we'll allow it. There are no rules, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no rules, just right. The Great has been canceled by Hulu, the show which starred Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt in a satirical take on the story of Catherine the Great. Uh, it ran for three seasons. Uh, Hulu also canceled How I Met Your Father, uh, the spinoff starring Hilary Duff. Jay, I didn't watch these shows, but um, I do want to point out that How I Met Your Father never answered the question, How They Met the Father. So <laughs> oh. if you are watching that show, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, so so it's it's canceled. Like, it's we, done. We, we've seen yeah. all the episodes. There's never going to... That's a real bummer. Nope, it's done. Never hey. answered the question. It's just a mystery. I hate an ending like that. I really do. <laughs> All right, up next, some sad news. Jamie Christopher, the first assistant director whose work spanned films such as Guardians of the Galaxy, Harry Potter, and Star Wars The Last Jedi, has passed away at the age of 52. He served as the right-hand man for directors like James Gunn, Ryan Johnson, Sam Raimi, and David Yates across his career. With such a storied filmmaking journey, especially in the nerdverse, this is a major loss to content and future films. Scotty? Yeah. So, yeah, this is an absolute tragedy. 52 is incredibly too young to, to be passing away like this. And I, I do think it's a real shame that I didn't know this gentleman's name until after he passed away. But I'm glad to know his name now. And he contributed so greatly to this universe that we love between being an executive producer on Multiverse of Madness and being the assistant director on, on properties like Guardians of the Galaxy. So um, I, I do, you know... I'm glad that he's being celebrated after the fact. It's just, again, it's not just the directors that we, and the actors that, you know, they are deserving of our admiration, I guess. Uh, But there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And it just kind of, again, solidifies why the strikes are happening right now is so that we get fair treatment and recognize some of these people that aren't celebrated as much. So uh, condolences to his family, his friends, and his fans. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. 
Sony's The Equalizer 3 took the number one spot at the Labor Day box office weekend, pulling in $42 million domestically over its four-day opening, helping to push the yearly domestic box office over $4 billion. Scotty. So prior to this weekend, I had never seen an Equalizer film, and I watched <laughs> all three movies this weekend. Nice. And How'd that I, go? Uh, it's a good trilogy. It's a solid trilogy. The second one was a little weak for me, but the first one is definitely a, a good movie. And the third movie, whoo, they ratcheted up the brutality, I have to say. It was it was super effective. And I've heard a lot of comparisons to The Equalizer kind of being like a horror slasher character that we're just rooting for, and that is absolutely the case. Like, the gore was <laughs> a little intense at, at times, and I, um, I'd have to go back and, and do my research, um, but... From what I understand, this is the best Labor Day weekend opening we've seen since Shang-Chi. So good for Denzel, good for Sony. Wow, great. <laughs> good for Anton Fuqua. I'm going to rebuttal just to say that uh, Denzel has got to be like on top of the world right now because if there's one thing you know about Denzel, he hates doing press. Like you can tell like anytime he's like anytime he's doing interviews of press, he's just like he wants it to be over so bad. Like and so the fact that he gets to put this movie out there, the people show up, they drop 40 billion dollars domestically. Like that's really solid and he does not have to do any press. He's like this is the life that I've always wanted. That's amazing. He's totally going to use that on his other films. Like, no, I don't need to do that. Look at that one. Hey, you see what happened with the Equalizer? Like, we're good. When I go out there, it gets does worse. Like, just keep. I'll make the movie. You guys do whatever you want with it. That's so fun. In a new Gallup poll released last week, 72% of those surveyed said that they support striking television and film writers, and 67% reported that they support striking actors over the studios. Haley. Good. Yeah, you should. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On the note of the strikes, SAG-AFTRA granted permission to three AMC shows to resume productions. Uh, Interview with a Vampire and two Walking Dead spinoffs, The Ones Who Live and Daryl Dixon. These series are being filmed and produced outside of the United States. AMC and its production arm, Stalwart Films are not members of the AMPTP. Haley, I'm going to retract my you should because I don't actually like saying you should do or think or anything like that to people. So just good that people support the strikes. Um, but I do find this interesting because we have A24 supporting their projects still, like they're meeting certain demands or they're working within certain guidelines mm -hmm. so that people can still work on their stuff. And so they can do it here in the United States, but these other places have to be doing it outside of the United States. And it just is kind of like, okay, guys, let's let's all get this figured out. Well, it's interesting. Sorry, I guess I'll use my rebuttal. Uh, it's interesting, um, you know, putting pressure. There's different kinds of pressure you can put on studios uh, to see this happen. And one of the ways you can put pressure is competition still getting to work. Yeah, um, for sure. And like, the, the, you know, it's one thing just to have the entire landscape be barren. It's another thing for like, you know, certain studios to be following the rules like A24 and suddenly they're putting out movies when no one else can and mm -hmm. they're making huge bank because no one else can. And, and like they're, there's just the competition's not there. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting uh, wrinkle to this whole thing. If, if, you know, uh, I, I've often wondered that, like, I know the, a lot of the studios are, um, that banded together for this AMPTP, but I wonder just like if this is a time where like some actor or, or, or some other group could start their own studio and be like, Hey, we'll meet all those demands. We're starting a new studio. It's just like, we're the studio that meets all your demands. Like we're going to do all this stuff mm -hmm. and we're just going to make movies this year. And while no one else can, and like how much that could drive that conversation. Well, even just like we talked about Giancarlo Esposito, well, he, he's talking about this stuff because he's in Panama. <laughs> like, mm, I don't yeah. know. It's just, it's fascinating to watch things evolve as the strikes continue to stretch on. You got to keep in mind, it does not have to be all or nothing. If one studio yep. decides to break off and be like, all right, we'll talk, let's meet, um, mm. that can happen. Like, it, it doesn't yeah. have to be the studios. Like, it probably will be because they're, they're, that's the idea is they want to work together so they can all get the best deal right, and, right. and keep everybody in line. But if a studio decides to go rogue and make a deal, like, they can. And AMC's always been its own sort of thing. It's not, and you mentioned it in the rundown, like, it's not 
kind of one of these like bigger studios it's, it, it is like the a24 of the big studios like it, it does kind of work independently uh of its own so that makes sense and then the, these properties being overseas obviously but like yeah a studio could get could get shaky and decide to make a deal that could happen Mm-hmm. With those two spinoffs of Walking Dead both working, it made me wonder if this was a plan. Like they saw the writing on the wall that a strike was coming, so they started two internationally shooting Walking Deads, like their their biggest flagship show. <laughs> like it just I was like, that's that's interesting. I don't know, that's weird. Uh, we oh lost, no, we lost Scotty again. We just, we lost Scotty oh, no. again. Um, well, we will. We will keep moving this time because we're so close to the very, very end. Um, uh, we, we edited it out earlier, but we lost Scotty. And I think with the second time, we'll just keep going. Um, although he might have had thoughts on this next story. Uh, this week, gaming studios Bethesda will release Starfield, its highly anticipated open-world role-playing game that has been in active development for seven years. The Xbox-exclusive title is expected to be one of the biggest games of the year and currently has a score of 88 on Metacritic. And Above average score for a video game. Jay, um, yeah, this is uh, if you're into gaming and you're into like the that industry, um, that's a very exciting thing to happen uh, because Starfield has been in development like they've they've talked about they've had the concept for starfield for like 25 years or something but it's only been an active development for seven years which is a really long time bethesda is known for games like skyrim and like you know these like big like open world like tons of stories tons of st- and so starfield is apparently evidently just even bigger than that that people are finding themselves playing this and getting lost in hours and hours before they ever even get to a thing so um if you're if you're into into gaming like this is an exciting thing and i think it'll probably be the biggest game of the year um in terms of like um kind of the way that that industry functions or one of at least so yeah exciting times i think it releases officially on uh, wednesday which is when this podcast comes out hmm the Marvel meta memoir of Scott Lang, Look Out for the Little Guy, uh, that we saw in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, is now available to purchase in real life. Matt, I really hope I read this. <laughs> I do. I, like, I, I keep, I've been meaning to. As soon as I heard it was going to be a thing, I was like, I'm going to try my best to read this. And I'm still planning on it. Yeah, I was going to say, I want the Source Pages episode on it. Like, um, I mean, yeah. we might, because... <laughs> Yeah, everything's getting pushed, so <laughs> I'll have to talk to Brian about that. <laughs> totally up your alley. Yeah, I just ordered mine today. <laughs> nice. I'm going to have to order it. According to the Bespin Bulletin, the upcoming Jude Law Helm Star Wars show Skeleton Crew has been pushed from 2023 release to 2024. Haley, uh, this is the first Star Wars thing that we've seen get pushed because the actors can't promote it because I'm pretty sure this show is completely done and in the can. And so Mm. that sucks. Indeed. Unconfirmed rumor leaks are suggesting a shorter runtime for the Marvels, uh, supposedly clocking in at 93 minutes. If true, uh, that would make the upcoming film the shortest in the MCU by a large margin. Matt. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, that's crazy. And I'm, I hope that means it'll be an action-packed, fun, adventurous romp through this thing. But, like, it worries me because uh, one of the big complaints with the more recent uh, Disney Plus shows has been how short some of the episodes are and how they just don't feel like they're really a full meal. And 93 minutes is just – that's, like, the kind of thing I expect from, like, a kid's movie, you know, like a, mm-hmm. like a legitimate, like, kid's movie. Um, and sometimes I do think that, like, in earlier phases they had close to hour-and-a-half run times on things that were, like – uh, just just the the solo films. So maybe they're just trying to kind of harken back to that. But this is real short for recent Marvel stuff. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Wor- worries me that it won't be a fully fleshed out thing. Um, but I'm still hopeful because I think the movie looks great. So. Yeah, and my tiny butt is that they're probably relying on everybody knowing Kamala Khan and knowing Monica Rambo. But mm. as we saw with Doctor Strange Mom, which was also a shorter movie there was a lot of confusion about why is Wanda acting this way. And so I hope it doesn't backfire on them the same way that did. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. Well, my friends, uh, 
Uh, since Jay Scotty can't be here for the ending here, uh, let me just say, check out Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes actually animation seriously, but not too seriously. Fun guys over there. Go check out the Animation Liberation. They talk about all the animated stuff uh, that kind of connects to all these geeky worlds that we love. Uh, What about you, Haley Hobbs? Where can people find you online? Yep, you can find me on Source Pages. We are doing some Ahsoka coverage, so check us out if you want some more background on those characters. And then you can find me and Ashley Coffin and sometimes Matt Carroll and sometimes Jeff Randall over on PandaVision covering the Ahsoka episodes. So please check us out. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. I'm really excited <laughs> to get off here and go watch it. But I have Me to edit this first. <laughs> so I got about three, four more hours before I can go watch. So I'll probably watch it in the morning. Uh, Jay, how about you? Where can they find you online? Yeah, you can find me at Commute the Podcast, where me and my co-host will teach you three interesting things on your way to work for about 20 minutes. Um, I also did make a guest appearance on Animation Deliberation this week. Uh, Jay Scotty and I talked about uh, Hulu's uh, Solar Opposites, uh, season four of that show. So uh, if you watch that show, come check uh, check that out. Come hear our thoughts on that uh, on that uh, great show. I've heard really good things about that show. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. You start in the first season and just kind of go through. Yeah, it's great. Dave Robertson of uh, DC on Screen's always talking about how good it is. Uh, yeah. when we're watching, we do the Star Trek Universe podcast together, and he's always just raving about Solar Opposites. And I have, I think I watched an episode, but I just didn't get into it yet. Yeah, uh, I keep meaning to go back. Uh, okay, well, I am Matthew Carroll, and you can find me uh, in the Stranded Panda podcast network all over that thing uh check out strandpanda.com uh but yeah i'll be on pandavision this week uh that's the big that's the big thing i'm doing this week with um uh ashley and Haley talking about ahsoka so uh, i i loved episode three of ahsoka like i loved it um it really it lit <laughs> it me so up good. in a way yeah, it was great that uh star wars hasn't in in a while since i was a kid and i really like got excited about it so i'm uh i'm pumped for episode four which is up now so we gotta go (laughs) talk to you soon you stay classy multiverse